0: We're in Acts chapter 15 this morning, going through the book of Acts together. Uh, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 16, verse 5. Um, and uh, I want to start out by reading a key verse, just so we can see where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. At least, the subject matter that that we'll spend most of our time on. So this section is about Paul and Barnabas. We've been talking about Paul and Barnabas. Uh, they were the first missionaries with a team uh, that's documented as being sent out by the first churches. Uh, and they were sent to take the gospel to, uh, to other cities and other places. Paul and Barnabas did that as, as a team. These were men who loved each other. Uh, They loved the church. They loved Jesus. They were committed to the the gospel mission that God had called them to. They served the kingdom incredibly, incredibly well. And then we read this in verse 39. Between these two guys, there arose a sharp disagreement. So they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. A sharp disagreement, a harsh disagreement. Fight is another way that we might say that. Um, A harsh fight between these two guys who loved Jesus and, and loved each other, this harsh fight would separate them and send them headed off in different directions. Now, I want to say this. I'm really glad that God chose to keep this in here, that Luke saw fit to write this down, because it would be really easy for us to read through the book of Acts and to assume that Acts is filled with human heroes who always got it right, you know, who never did things wrong, um, people who were, were filled with the Holy Spirit and, and, and superhuman, without, without fault or mistake. And if we approach the book of Acts and we see it that way, uh, we have messed up. And so I'm thankful that Luke included this so that we could see the humanity, even of these men and women who may serve as heroes for us. They were human. Um, they, they fought, and this fight that we're talking about today separated two brothers. But we'll see this morning, as we work through this quickly, um, that God uses even fights, even separation, even bad things in our lives for His purposes. He is always working all things together for good. Um, So the sermon title this morning is, Can't We All Just Get Along? Can't We All Just Get Along? Uh, I'm going to go ahead for you nappers and just let you know the answer is no. We cannot. Uh, We cannot all get along because we are broken, fallen humans, uh, and disagreements, arguments, fights, they happen. Uh, So what we're going to talk about this morning is resolving them. And uh, what we do when those things happen. So, um, some difficult stuff this morning. Some stuff that we all probably need to process and work through. And I think we, most of us um, probably have some work to do in this area. So, before we jump into this passage, I want to ask if you would pray with me. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be good today, starting with you. Uh, just to show you in your own heart where maybe there's a lack of forgiveness forgiveness that you need to grant to others or maybe there's someone in your life that you have hurt or wronged um, and you need to seek their forgiveness uh so pray pray that god would help you see that and uh if you are one of the people who are great at this stuff then pray for me uh and pray for the other folks here this morning as well will you pray with me okay let's pray father we do need your help um we are prideful people. And we need your Holy Spirit to help us. Uh, Father, I pray that you would, would, would work through your Holy Spirit in us and in our midst this morning to teach us, to help us see in our own hearts those hidden places where we have um, not granted forgiveness, those places that have become bitterness, and anger uh, toward brothers and sisters, toward others. I pray that you would help us to see uh, our own sin and the areas that we need to seek forgiveness from others. I pray that in the many broken relationships that we experience, that we would be a community of people who are radically forgiving like Jesus is. Help us. It's in his name we pray together. Amen. Okay, so I want to look at a couple of verses uh, to begin with just to see uh, Paul's plan, the plan that they had, and that plan was to revisit uh, all of the churches they had visited before. So um, chapter 15, verse 36 says, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And then in chapter 16, verse 4, we read a little more of it. And it says, As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So Paul and Barnabas, as I mentioned earlier, had gone on this first mission trip, a lengthy mission trip. They had made their way back to the church in Antioch. They spent some time there in that church preaching, teaching, enjoying the family at the church in Antioch. Um, and then, uh, last week we talked about the Jerusalem Council and the question of what what does it take to be saved? Who can be saved? Paul and Barnabas had been a part of that council. After it was over, they went back to um, Uh, to their their home church and they're there spending time with their their family teaching and preaching and we read in verse 36 after some days paul said to barnabas barnabas let's go see how all the churches that we visited before how they are doing and and as we're going we'll share with them the good news from the jerusalem council so that was that was their plan paul asked barnabas and what followed is a sharp disagreement and we see that in verse 37 Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches." So a sharp disagreement we saw um, between these brothers, these missionaries, took place, and they went their separate ways. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them, and and Paul uh, adamantly opposed that idea. We don't have a lot of details, but we see this in verse 38. Paul thought it best not to include John Mark because he had less left them on their last mission trip. We read about that in Acts chapter 13. So um, uh, he started with them on this first missionary journey, but he didn't make it long with them, and he, he, he abandoned them and left them to do the missionary work. And so Paul is saying, look, I'm not going through that again. Like, no, we will not take John Mark. John Mark had his chance. He didn't stand with us. He didn't work with us. And he abandoned us on the mission field. I am not taking him with us. Barnabas fought against Paul over this. And this was a fight between these brothers. Um, This was a heated argument. Barnabas fighting to include John Mark. One commentator that I read said from the language and the way that this is described, it was like an explosive fight between these two brothers, right, where, where one was set off. I just imagine as an explosive fight that they're yelling at each other. This is, this is not a happy disagreement, right? They are vehemently opposing one another. And we have no real way uh, of, of knowing who was right in this. Both of these men thought that they were right. And, and it may be that neither of them was wrong. We just don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us. But whatever the case is, they, they fought. And their sharp disagreement led them to separate. Ba- Barnabas and John Mark, they set sail for the island of Cyprus just off the coast from Antioch, their, their home church. Um, this was the same path that Paul and Barnabas had taken, and Paul chooses Silas, having been commended, it says, uh, for this trip by the leaders of the church, and they set out by land, going to the same region and the same churches that they had visited before, Uh, visiting some churches that they had not visited before. So let's, let's see what happens, right? They have this sharp disagreement, and they go their separate ways. Here are the results, chapter 16, verse 1. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance uh, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they increased in their numbers daily. In Romans 8, chapter 28, um, one of my favorite verses, uh, Paul tells the Roman church, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All right, that's what Paul is telling the Roman church. For those who are called uh, according to his purpose, God is working all things together for good. That is a beautiful promise. No no matter how crazy things seem, no matter how bad things uh, might be, God is working all things together for good, and I think that we see that in this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. I don't believe that God caused this fight between them, but I do believe 100% it was a part of God's plan. God was not surprised when this argument took place. God was not wringing His hands, angry at which one of, whichever one of them was the worst. I don't know. I, I, I just know that this was all a part of God's plan. And God would work, even this disagreement between brothers, He would work that together for good. And we see it. We see it in the story of Acts. We see it in, in, in some of the letters from Paul, uh, John Mark and Barnabas would serve the Lord incredibly well together, and Barnabas would pour into the life of John Mark, um, and John Mark would become, become a great servant and missionary in the kingdom of God. Paul and Silas, they will continue doing uh, ministry work and mission work together. Timothy will continue on this journey with them. Uh, We'll read about their work as we continue through the book of Acts. Um, And and we see in these verses, right, God working all this together for good when, when Paul and Silas meet Timothy. Paul sees something in Timothy and wants Timothy to join them in this mission. Timothy agrees. Now, last week, just to make a connection to what we talked about last week, for those who were, who were here last week, we talked about how um, the gospel gives us freedoms. And sometimes for the good of others and the mission of God, we should be willing to set aside our freedoms. Here's a perfect example in what Timothy did. Timothy, because he knew they were going to be ministering to the Jews, and he was not a Jew and had a Greek father agreed that he should be circumcised so that that didn't hinder the mission. So even though there was freedom for him in the gospel, like, no, you, you, you don't have to be to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be a child of God. It's all the work of Jesus and not, not, not your works. Still, Timothy was willing to set aside that freedom for the mission and for the good of others. So Timothy would become a major part of Paul's work and the the, the work and the mission of the first church. And maybe, maybe all of that took place because of this fight that took place between Paul and Barnabas. Maybe it was that that set up the meeting that Paul had with Timothy and brought Timothy to travel. Maybe Timothy would never have traveled uh, with Paul and Silas if not for that fight. We don't know. I'm only suggesting that God was working all things together for good, and Timothy was a part of that. Timothy Timothy and his his ministry with Paul and Silas. Um, John Mark. That John Mark would grow in the faith. John Mark joining Barnabas. There are now two missionary teams instead of just one team. And on top of that, chapter 16, verse 5 says, So the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they increased in number daily. So there was a fight, and these brothers split, and they went their separate ways. And even in the midst of that, God was working all things together for good. And we see that clearly in this passage but it does leave us with other questions right um, like what happened to Paul and Barnabas did they ever become friends did they ever make up again were, were, were they forever separated did they remain unhappy with one another what happened in their relationship what happened with Paul and John Mark We don't get a lot of specific answers, but we can see a lot from other places in the Scripture. One day there would be forgiveness and reconciliation. We see that in the New Testament. One day there would be, between all of these men, forgiveness and reconciliation. So let me start with the reconciliation that we see. When I say reconciliation, I mean that there was a restoration of those relationships. Whatever was between Paul and Barnabas or Paul and John Mark, whatever was between them that separated them, at some point that was removed and they were reconciled together right? Think of that in terms of their relationship. It's like our relationship with God. We talk about the gospel often here and and how our sin separates us from God. Well, through faith and the work of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, that sin is removed. And so the sin that separated us from God is removed from us and we are reconciled now with our Father through Christ. Reconciliation takes place when whatever that divider is, is removed. Uh, Just like it was for us and God, that's the way it is for these men. Whatever separated them was removed and, and there is some reconciliation. When we read Paul's letters, we know that there was reconciliation because in Colossians chapter 4 verse 10, Paul sends greetings from Mark, and he's talking about John Mark. Greetings from John Mark who was with him as he wrote that letter. Greetings from John Mark who was ministering with him. So obviously there was reconciliation in their relationship. In, in that same verse, Paul connects Mark, John Mark, with Barnabas, and he does so in a very affirming way, evidence that the reconciliation wasn't just between Paul and, and, and John Mark, but also Barnabas. He spoke well of both of these men wanting the church to look out for them when they, uh, as they continued their ministry and came to that church. John Mark is also mentioned in Philemon uh, one twenty four as being with Paul, ministering with Paul. But I think the most beautiful evidence of reconciliation comes in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 11. And in Second Timothy, Paul was nearing his death. He was in a Roman prison, knew that he wasn't going to get out of jail this time, that he would die because of his faith. And he's writing to Timothy and he's asking Timothy um, before he passes away, before he dies, to bring some things to him that were very important to him. And one of his big asks is that Timothy would bring John Mark to see him before he died before he died in prison because he had been such a good ministry partner to Paul. I love that. Right? They were divided, they were fighting over John Mark and in the end we see Paul loved John Mark so much that he didn't want to die without seeing him one more time. So there was reconciliation. So let's let's talk about forgiveness because you can't see reconciliation if there is no forgiveness. Now I want to say this um, as we start this section on forgiveness. I cannot possibly cover everything this morning related to forgiveness. So here is something that I am going to do. I'm going to post some resources, New City Partners, on our partners page on Facebook today so that you will have some other resources to look at. I'll post these next week on our uh, public Facebook page as well. Um, just to help us think through some of this. So let's start with what forgiveness means. Forgiveness is a release of someone from something that is owed. Someone owes you something and you are releasing them from that liability or debt. So in Matthew chapter 18, um, Jesus is talking with his disciples about forgiving people, forgiving people of wrongdoing, and he uses the analogy, he uses a financial analogy. And so when we talk about forgiving people, we use the same analogy, it's like somebody owing you money, right? You owe me $10. And I say, forget about it. Don't worry about the $10. I am forgiving you of the $10 that you owe me it's the same when it comes to being wronged by someone very much the same the party who wronged you has caused some loss to you right the party who hurt you they hurt you they've caused some level of caused some level of of pain or suffering in your life by wronging you. And the level of that, depending on um, the, the wrong that was committed against you, it could be legitimately a great, great, great debt that's owed to you because of that wrongdoing. Um, justice, justice means that, that the person who owes us something has to pay it, right? It, it, that is justice. You borrow $10, you pay $10, It it, it is justice, if you hurt me, an eye for an eye, to be hurt in the same way that you hurt me. Now, generally, stick with me on this, generally when someone has hurt us, when we've been hurt by someone, we want that person to pay the debt that they owe for their wrong with interest. All right? Like, we want them to hurt at least as bad as we hurt. Most of the time, we really want them to hurt a little bit more than we hurt, right? That's what I mean by the interest. We want them to hurt like we hurt. We want them to suffer like we suffer. We want them to lose like we have lost at least that much, at least that much, but generally even more. Now, we might exact payment from them for this debt that that they owe us for this wrongdoing. We might exact payment by yelling at them. We might exact payment by screaming at them, by shaming them, by talking bad about them, ruining their reputation with others. Lots of ways that we try to get that back from them. We we watch, often hoping that, that bad things will happen to them so that they hurt at least as bad as we hurt. Only then, only when they have hurt sufficiently by our standard, only then, is their debt paid and the obligation gone am I right I know I'm talking to you here's what I want you to know that is not forgiveness that is eye for an eye repayment you have not forgiven a person when they paid you back you've done nothing They've paid you back. That is not forgiveness. Forgiveness means that the party who wronged us owes us nothing. Tim Keller says forgiveness means giving up the right to seek repayment from the one who harmed you. Forgiveness doesn't mean that they have hurt like you have hurt. It means you canceled their debt. let me let me say this another way a wrong A wrong incurs a debt when someone wrongs us. Every debt must be paid. So if we insist that the wrongdoer pay us back, and maybe with that interest that we were we were talking about, then the debt is paid by them. The debt is paid to us by the wrongdoer. He is not forgiven of the debt. he has paid it back. He has suffered a loss that is at least equal to our loss but in forgiveness and I want to make sure that we that we get this in forgiveness it is the person who has been wronged that pays the price so when you forgive someone you are canceling their debt and you are taking it on yourself all of the hurt and all of the pain and all of the loss is yours to bear in forgiveness and not theirs that's what forgiveness means we are releasing them from their suffering and yet we are lost with ours left with ours You have suffered some loss. Happiness, your reputation, peace of mind, a relationship, an opportunity. You've been hurt. Maybe you are continuing to be hurt by what happened, but rather than making them pay for your loss, even that ongoing loss, you release them from having to pay you back, and you absorb the loss yourself. That's forgiveness. So, Pastor Keith, are you saying that we should just ignore wrong when someone does wrong? We should just ignore it and suck it up and suffer on our own? Is that what you're saying? Just pretend like it didn't happen? Absolutely not. That is not what I'm saying. So, what then, what then do we do when there is wrong? What do we do when there is wrong? Because there is going to be wrong. Someone is going to wrong you. And you are going to wrong them. So so I want to look at this from both of those perspectives. What happens? What do we do when you are wronged? What do you do when you have wronged someone else? So first of all, when you have been wronged. Matthew chapter 18 verse 15. And I want you to follow along with me on this. If your brother sins against you. Right? Someone has wronged you. If your brother sins against you, you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If you have been wrong, If someone has wronged you, then you go. This is Jesus. Jesus saying this. If someone has wronged you, then what you do is you go. You and you alone, you go and talk with the one who has wronged you, your brother or sister. And if they repent, then you celebrate that. You have gained your brother or sister back. If someone has wronged you, you go and talk to them. If you believe that you have been wronged by someone, you and you alone, go talk to them. Listen to me now. Do not talk to your best friend about this. Amen. Don't talk to your MC leader about it. Don't don't come talk to me about it. Jesus was really clear. If your brother has wronged you, go and talk to your brother and share with your brother or sister this wrong that you feel like has been done to you. Now, there are exceptions to this, okay? And I, I want to make sure you hear these exceptions. There are exceptions to this. Abuse is one example. I want to make sure you hear me say that. Any situation that puts you in danger, um, d- don't go. Come and talk to me. Talk to your MC leader. Talk to one of the elders at the church. Let us us handle it if there is danger to you. So there are exceptions to this. Do not put yourself in danger. We are here to help. But hear me on this big but here. Being afraid to talk with the person who wronged you because you don't like the feeling of confrontation is not a reason to ignore the words of Jesus. I'm going to say that again. I just wanted to sit there for a minute. Being afraid to talk with the person who wronged you because you don't like that feeling of confrontation and it makes you uncomfortable is not a reason for you to sin. And isn't that what we do when we disobey Jesus? If you have been wronged, Jesus said, go and talk to the person who wronged you. Only talk to someone else, one witness or two witnesses. Only talk to them if your brother or sister will not own their sin, if they will not repent. And even then, you you don't just gang up, right? You take a witness or two witnesses to talk with them so that there is a second conversation about what happened. Y'all, I want to tell you, this is probably the biggest problem that I see in church. And New City is not an exception to that. Churches, families, this is one of the biggest problems that I see. Rather than talking to our brother and sister, rather than talking to the offender, we gather our team together and we start talking about them. We gather a team to stand against them. And when we do that, we are in as much sin as they might have been, maybe more sin than they were when they offended you. Luke 17.3 is another passage that says, Go to your brother or your sister and tell them how they have wronged you. Now let me say this as well. When it comes to this going to your brother and sister and, and seeking repentance, um, Seeking to see repentance should be for their good as much as it is for your good. When, when you go and confront a brother or sister who has, has sinned, who has wronged you, then, then going to them is as much for their good as it is for, for your good. In love, what we are doing by, by sharing with them this offense, what we are doing is pointing them to sin or the danger of sin in their life. We are asking them to repent not only of hurting us and potentially hurting other people, but we are, we are calling for their repentance so there is nothing between them and the Lord. We're helping them to see where they are straying away from God in their hurt to us and to other people. So, so this is a loving move for them as much as it is for us. In fact, I would say this, if we, are, if we are confronting them on sin, seeking to make them feel shame and guilt and somehow some of the same pain that we felt, then we really aren't seeking their repentance uh, and offering forgiveness to them as much as we are requiring them to make some sufficient payment for the wrong they've done to us. What determines which of these two is taking place isn't the procedure, it's our heart. What is our heart after? Is it seeing our brother or sister feel bad? Is it seeing them squirm and hurt because of the hurt that they've caused us? That's not forgiveness. So, what do we do if a brother or sister has wronged us? We go in love. We go and talk to them in love, seeking their repentance. And if they repent, we celebrate. We've gained our brother or sister back. If they don't, and we take a witness or two witnesses with us to hear the stories and help us work through it together. What if they don't? What if they, what if they don't repent what if even with a witness or two witnesses, what if, we, what if we talk it through with them and they are unwilling to repent? What do you do then? In, in Mark 11, Jesus is teaching His disciples about faith, right? About, about faith, and He talks about praying by faith, and that leads Him to say something else about about prayer. Mark 11, verse 24, he says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And then, as he's talking about praying, he adds this, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, forgive so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. And if you have something against someone, if you have something against someone, that is, that is Jesus' way of saying, if someone has wronged you and, and they owe you this debt because of the wrong that they have committed to you, and as you are standing and praying, this debt comes to mind, what should you do? Forgive them. Forgive them. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They they hurt me really, really badly, Jesus. They hurt me really badly. I I lost friends over this. My reputation was damaged over this. Things have not been the the same in my life over this. They have not repented. They have not said they were sorry. They have done nothing at all. What are you saying, Jesus? Forgive. Forgive. Let it go. Release them from what they owe you. Release them from the debt. Wipe the slate clean. You decide it. They owe you nothing. Even though you've suffered, even though you've hurt, even though there is a great pain, even though your life is not the same because of the way that they wronged you, Jesus says, let it go. Isn't that ridiculous? I hurt so much. Jesus, you don't know how painful that was, and you're just saying, let it go? You mean, you you expect me to just wipe the slate clean? Let them go without paying for the wrongs that they have done? Jesus, this is unfair. Look at these verses in Ephesians 5. Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's talking about the new life that is theirs in Christ, and he's comparing it with their old life, how they are radically new creations in Christ. And Paul says, "...therefore, having put away falsehood," right, you believers? "...having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members, we are members one of another." Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Listen, I know you've been hurt, but let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, for only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, church. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. I know you're hurt. I know this was hard. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice be kind to one another be tender hearted forgiving one another how as god in christ forgave you be kind to one another tender hearted don't grieve the holy spirit by holding on to bitterness Listen, when you, hang on to, when you hang on to that unforgiveness in your life, e- even though you were wronged, when you hang on to that unforgiveness in your life, th- that turns to bitterness. Unforgiveness takes root and becomes bitterness, wrath, and anger. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit holding on to those things. Put away slander and malice. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now let me be super clear here. While we were yet sinners, while you were yet a sinner, while you were an enemy with God himself, while you were unrepentant, when you were unrepentant and running from God, Christ suffered and died for you. Jesus, Jesus took the suffering of your sin on himself so that you wouldn't have to suffer. And and in him you won't. You will never know the suffering that is rightly yours because of the wrong that you have done to God. You and I have been released from the wrath of God that should be ours. The debt has been, has been paid. The debt that we owed, it's been forgiven. This is what our forgiveness is. The debt that we owe has been forgiven. The slate has been wiped clean. Paul is saying, forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. How did Christ forgive you? He took all of the suffering on himself so that you wouldn't have to suffer. Forgiveness, Sam Storms says, is deciding to live with the painful consequences of another person's sin. Forgiveness is you deciding to live with the painful consequences of that other person's sin. Let me say that again. And then I want you to hear my question. Forgiveness is deciding to live with the painful consequences of another person's sin. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that the good news of the gospel for you? Is this not how we live then shaped into the image of Jesus? Is this not how we forgive as we have been forgiven. That's hard stuff. One more. What about when you have wronged another? This one will be really short. What do you do when you have wronged another? Matthew 5:23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, you've wronged your brother or sister, They have something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Own your sin. If you have wronged someone else, what do you do? Don't bury it. Don't hide it. Don't pretend like it didn't happen. Own your sin. Own your failure. Repent. Turn from that. Seek restitution with the person that you have hurt. Seek a restoration of the relationship that you once had with them. Be reconciled as much as you can with your brother or sister. So, if we've sinned against, if we have been sinned against, then we go to our brother or sister in love, telling them, hey, this was a hurtful thing that you did to me. Seeking their repentance. Not a repayment to us, but, but, but to remove that that separates us. And maybe even more importantly, that that might separate them from God. To see them walk, walk purely with Jesus. What if they say, I, I, I've done nothing wrong. What do we do then? What do we do when a, a brother or sister has sinned against us and there's no repentance? Jesus said, pretty simply, forgive. 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 Forgive as you have been forgiven. And if you are the offending party, if you are the one who has offended, then quickly, quickly make it right with your brother or sister. Now, I want to say a few more things pretty quickly here about forgiveness. Forgiving does not mean that you forget. Forgiving does not mean that you forget. That is impossible for us. We can't just forget. We can forgive, but forgetting is not possible for us. This means that we will likely have to forgive that person over and over and over and over because we're going to forgive them and then we're going to remember that debt and we're going to pick it up again and we have to put it away again because the hurt is very real. And so forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. Forgiving does not mean we have forgotten. Forgiving does not necessarily mean that the relationship is restored. Listen to me on that one too. Forgiving does not necessarily mean that the relationship is restored. Building trust is slow and difficult when it has been broken. When we break trust, it is difficult for that trust to be rebuilt. Both parties should know that. Yeah, I, I, I can be your brother, and I can love you, and I can forgive you for the wrong that was done, but that doesn't mean I'm going to jump in to being your best buddy. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. Because being forgiving doesn't necessarily mean that everything is back to the way that it was. Forgiving doesn't mean that you place yourself in, in harm's way. Right, An abused person, you you may forgive the person who abused you, but that doesn't mean that you jump right back into the place of abuse. Don't do that. Forgiving is also always a step of faith. John Piper points this out. I'll share this resource with you. Um, but, But going through the Ephesians 5 passage, we trust God in who He is and what He does. We trust that our God, who is just, will ultimately bring about justice. And, and, and if justice demands vengeance because this hurt has been so hard against us, then we trust that it's not us who brings vengeance, but the Lord. Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. Not yours. So trust the Lord in His justice and even in His vengeance. That's faith. When we can forgive someone trusting that God will deal with it, that is faith. There's also a a part of this is faith when when we remember the promises that God has made to us um, in 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. If If we indeed do respond with brotherly love and a tender heart and a humble mind, and we don't repay evil for evil, but we bless even the wrongdoer, there is a promise that we will receive a reward from our Father in heaven. So forgive believing that. Forgive, believing that the reward that the Lord has promised is much greater than the hurt that you feel right now. Disagreements will happen. Can't we all just get along? We cannot. We will not. There's going to be hurt, there's going to be disagreements, even in the church. Paul and Barnabas, heroes of the faith. When these disagreements happen. The Christian family should respond radically different than the rest of the world. Radically different. If your brother or sister has sinned against you, don't talk to other people about it. Do not, as much as you want to talk to somebody else about it because you're hurt, don't. Go to your brother and sister and talk to them. Go to them in love for their good seeking their repentance so they can walk with Jesus. If they repent, celebrate. If they don't, what does Jesus say? Forgive them anyway. Wipe the slate clean. They owe you nothing. Forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. And if you have wronged a brother or sister, leave here today and set that right. As much as it is up to you, live at peace with others. Who was wrong? Was it Paul? Was it Barnabas? Was it John Mark? How did forgiveness take place between those men? I have no idea. But it did. Whatever separated them or whatever led to their separation was removed and they were reconciled. There was restoration and they ministered again together for the good of people and for the glory of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, new city. The Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. New City, I believe we have some work to do. Let's start that work here and now. Repenting, confessing to our Father, and then taking steps toward this radical Christ-like forgiveness that we are called to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the forgiveness that is ours because of him. Father, I confess what a, what a wretch that I am sometimes when it comes to pride and my lack of forgiveness. I am thankful that you don't forgive as I forgive. Help me to forgive as I have been forgiven. Thank you for your grace and mercy that not only saves us, but seals us despite our sinfulness. Thank you for the grace that forgives us today. Thank you for the grace that reminds us of how how much we have been forgiven. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would remind us of that again and again and again so that we might forgive as we have been forgiven. In Jesus' name.